Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Powell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. Beringer Ingelheim's Equine Health Solutions don't just come in the form of medicine. From our vaccine and EGAS assurance programs to our equine practice enrichment program, we offer a wide range of services dedicated to helping individual veterinarians and entire practices succeed in their business environment. To learn more about all the services we offer, contact one of our expert team members by visiting bi-vetmedica.com company contact. Hi, it's Mike Powell, and before we start this episode with Dr. Gemma Campling of Worldwide Vet, after we recorded, Dr. Campling realized she misspoke when she was talking about who sponsored Worldwide Vets with equipment. She mentioned that she received 20 portable ultrasounds. The supplier of that wasn't, in fact, Butterfly, so it wasn't who she listed, it was Butterfly. So just wanted to make that correction and uh, give credit where credit is due. Thanks, enjoy the episode. Hi, before we start this episode of the AAEP Practice Life Podcast, I just want to uh, give warning that this episode will cover sensitive topics, including suicide, abuse, violence, and mental illness. You should be advised to refrain from listening to this if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by any of these topics. Thank you. Hey, welcome to the AP Practice Life Podcast brought to us by our good friends at Beringer Engelheim. I am joined once again by Dr. Jessica Dunbar. Jessica, welcome again. It's great to be here. Thank you, Mike. So at the most recent AEP convention, uh, were you there at the opening sessions? Most people should go there, but not everybody does. That's one of my favorite parts. And yes, I was there for the opening session and got to hear Gemma summarize her work in the Ukraine. Before we go any further, what I want to do is bring on our guest. And so I saw that session on Worldwide Vets and what they're doing in Ukraine. And it was mesmerizing and humbling. And yet, as a veterinarian, I was so proud of the profession that we are making the difference. And so I want to introduce our guests, and, and you're going to have to help us here is how to pronounce your first name correctly, because it's not a typical North American name. So welcome, Dr. Campling, and you can tell us your first name. Thank you. Gemma Campling. Gemma. Okay. It's a hard G. All right. So as I said, we, we both saw it, and some of the videos and the stories you were telling was just the hush in the room. I mean, you had the biggest room there, and everybody that was participating was just silenced by what you're going through. And I don't know about you, Jessica, but I was thinking of what we do day to day here. And I was just like, I thought some of the stuff that I do is challenging or my teammates are doing is challenging, but this was just a whole other level. Yeah, I agree. The work that you were speaking about sounds very important. And I'm really glad we're chatting with you today to learn a little more about it and how to become involved or help. One question we'd like to start with is just to talk about when Worldwide Vets started. If you could go into that story. So Worldwide Vets was founded in 2010. I was actually still a vet student at the time when I founded Worldwide Vets because 
I don't like free time, it seems. And I was in India, actually, uh, traveling, and I came across a small black dog that had a degloving injury on his, on his paw. It was quite a traumatic injury, and I wanted to find a local vet clinic that I could take him to. And I asked around, and everyone said, no, it's not possible. There's nothing in the area. There's no SPCA. There's no charity clinic around here. This was up in the Himalayas. So I didn't really have any choice but to leave the poor guy behind and carry on with my trip some days later. And it just, it haunted me. I felt horrendous. I'd left him that there was no hope for this animal. And then obviously the effect that that was having an animal was in that whole region. There really wasn't any support for them. And I really just decided, you know, you can either do nothing and carry on with your life or you can come up with a plan. So I decided to start Worldwide Vets as a way to be able to reach into more areas especially developing countries where there is a need for veterinary work and to be able to provide that. That's amazing. And did you start it right out of school? Uh, I was a fourth year vet student, fourth year vet student. Wow. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're amazing. It seems like the work you do has made such a difference. Can you go through how, how it's grown since 2010? So it really, it started as a way to link vet students up with projects that wanted support. Students to come out and help to see the work they were doing, um, and students would bring donations and new graduates to, to sort of support those clinics. So it started very small, one or two locations. It was over in India and in Zimbabwe. A mixture between me coming across other locations as I traveled and people reaching out to us and saying, you know, they really wanted support. You know, they needed equipment, they needed volunteers, they needed hands on the ground, and especially training for local vets. You know, can we have a a vet out from England or the States to come give our vets some training in surgery. Yes, yeah, really just India and Zimbabwe. We're now on four continents, 10 countries, Peru, Costa Rica, Egypt, Thailand, India, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Zanzibar over in Tanzania, Ghana, and now Ukraine. How do you decide to go to a country and, and what are the logistics to set up in a country? It's a process. So we always work with an organization that is on the ground already. We are very much focused on local capacity building and long-term commitments to the areas that we work. So we always employ a local vet. And really the process is going in and looking for a way that we can provide support, structure, and really make a difference just for the veterinary, the community as a whole. And that in itself is one of the most challenging parts because there's a lot of places that need help and only limited resources to do that. So I have to really focus on where we're going to make the biggest difference, choose those locations. Remarkable. And all of the countries that you listed, do you have teams present there uh, just certain times of the year or people rotate through or how does that work? Uh, So those are permanent locations. There's a vet on site at each of those locations throughout the year. And then we do also additional outreach uh, clinics where we go in with a bigger group of uh, qualified vets and support nurses, techs and students. And we do um, a much higher caseload, for instance, spay, neuter and vaccination as a big sort of short two week outreach. So it's additional to our permanent work that's in all of those. Wow. Do you have a feel for how many veterinarians get involved in this versus students? So generally on our outreaches, we're anything between four to 12 vets, qualified, and then about the same number of students. Sometimes we'll double the number of students compared to the vets. 
um, or the student vet techs and nurses will be double the, the vet number because, as everyone knows, a vet can only be as good as their tech and their nurse and their support team. So we cutting the snipping and the sewing, but we need that brilliant support team as well to help it run easily and, and well. So that's very important to us. Certainly. And then you mentioned spay-neuter is a big part of it. What percentage is small animal versus getting into uh, large animal work? Well, it actually varies. I would say we're probably 60% small animal, 40% large. There's quite a bit of wildlife that we do that tends to be seasonal, June, July, August in the dry seasons in Africa. We do a lot of equine outreach. Um, I was actually just out in Iraq doing uh, some equine outreach, teaching vets to do safe and, and good horse castrations and dental work. And uh, India, Egypt, and we're just starting equine in Peru as well. And hopefully a new team in Guatemala. So, yes, quite, quite a lot of horses as well. Wonderful. As we're recording this, we're coming up to the one-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. So putting yourself back about a year ago, there was a concern it was going to happen, and then it happened. And so walk us through, looking back a year, how you're like, okay, we need to be in Ukraine, and how did you set things up in Ukraine? So uh, I think like everyone else, I watched this unfold on the news and on social media especially. There was a number of groups created for locating small animal support, equine support. Uh, and in the first couple of weeks of the war, there wasn't too much equine fundraising happening. We opened a fundraiser for horses and took in some donations specifically for equines. And then the real challenge was working out the best way to use that money, because obviously the, Kiev was under attack. Uh, bridges were being blown up. Businesses were shut down. And it was very challenging to know how to really put that money to good use um, in the way that it was going to help the maximum number of horses and owners. So I linked up uh, with the Ukraine Equestrian Federation and we started chatting with Beaver, AAEP, World Horse Welfare, um, all of those organizations and trying to come up with a, a plan on how best to help. And I decided really the, the best way, I was going to say safest, <laughs> the most thorough way to know what to do with those funds was to actually go into Ukraine, meet the people, see what really was needed, what I could source locally and um, try and cut out the transport from Europe and so on. So I went into Ukraine through Poland. Uh, it was initially only going to be a week's trip. And as all good things do, it it extended and extended and extended. And uh, I had to delay and delay and delay my return flight. And I started moving around the country, meeting horse owners, livery yards, uh, medical suppliers, feed suppliers, and creating a network of people that we could work with and also really getting a, an understanding from the owners, you know, what do you need from the vets? What what don't you have? What can we help with? Yeah, that's how I ended up in Ukraine in 2022. Wow. What is life like for horse owners in Ukraine? It's challenging and it's changing all the time as well. Obviously, at the start of the war, lots of people saw those absolutely horrendous videos of people having to just take their horses and let them go in the countryside. The north of, of Kiev took a really horrific attack. Uh, there was a lot of crimes against humanity. There was a lot of terrible things that happened and a lot of missiles and firearms coming in that put the horses' lives at risk. Um, yards were bombed, uh, barns were bombed. And the safest thing to do when the horse is panicking, obviously, is just to give them the space. So lots of people let them out. And as a result of that, for 40 to 50 days, whilst the area was under occupation, 
a lot of those sport horses, you know, they take a lot of nutrition and they wandered around in the winter in the snow with no, no feed, very little forage, got incredibly emaciated. Uh, and then the big challenge was once those horses got caught, when Ukraine took the area back, there was massive complications with refeeding syndrome, with colic, and, and also the trauma. The horses got stuck on fences, wire around their legs. So that initial part of the war was, was incredibly challenging. Coming on to today, obviously the, the front line now is down in the southeast. There are areas where horses are living that are occupied, where there's a lot of military action. Again, still, you know, it's come out of the news a bit, but nothing's changed. There's still missiles, there's still bombings, there's still people stuck in areas that don't have water and electricity and gas. They're struggling to get horse food in, they're struggling to get hay in because the roads have been torn up by the tanks uh, and missiles. So it really is, you know, keeping horses isn't easy. We all know that. It's not an easy animal to keep, but if you basically collapse an entire country's economy and imagine how much more challenging that makes it, it, it really is a struggle for owners. How is it for the veterinarians? Because I know when you presented at the AP, there was the video that you shown of going along in a, in a truck and a missile flies overhead and lands quite close to you. I think that, you know, we hear the stories in North America, for example, of veterinarians going into California or other areas, whether it's fire, mudslides, flooding, what have you, and how devastating it is. And the difference, I would say, is that these are nature, things happen. Uh, we know they'll, they'll end eventually, whereas where you are in the Ukraine, and I'm sure in other areas, these are deliberate actions the end is not in sight. And these are people doing horrible things to other people. So how do you and your team emotionally manage this? Because I have to imagine there must be a significant degree of PTSD. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's a few points there. The, the PTSD of being in a country like that, it's stressful for everyone. You know, every couple of nights, the um, missile sirens go off. So you can be in the very, the, the, you know, the, the quiet areas in the, the northwest. Uh, there's no real military action. And yet every few nights you just hear these horrendous, haunting sirens going off. And you lie in bed and you just think, OK, I really hope the anti-missile uh, technology has got this. And most of the time it does and nothing comes through. Down on the southeast where there's still fighting, there's a front line. Uh, you, I mean, we've seen a lot of missiles. We've been stuck in garages where we, we're not actually able to leave because there's missiles um, landing in the areas around us. And the most dangerous place you can actually be when the missiles are landing is in a, in a vehicle because you're elevated off the ground, the shrapnel can fly up and uh, just cut through the cars. So you have to just basically go to base, go to a cellar, go underground um, and wait it out. So that is very um, challenging when you're trying to treat animals I mean, we always say the vets are always late for their appointments anyway. So, yes, that definitely adds a challenge. By way of how the vets deal with it, so due to martial law, uh, all males between 18 and 65 are not able to leave Ukraine at the moment and are required uh, when called up to go and fight in the military. And a lot of the male vets, as a result, have been called in um, to provide medical support to humans. So they are up and down between the front line dealing with human casualties. and. Not only is that incredibly crippling on your career and your life plans and your future, um, psychologically, that isn't something that you can just get over easily. It's very traumatic. And 
I think all the vets that I've met that have been down in that area are just carrying on the best they can for their country and their friends and their clients and their patients. But it's it's really tough. For them. It's really tough. Even looking at your website and seeing photos from Ukraine of you wearing a or somebody wearing a bulletproof vest, it just illustrates how passionate you are about providing help to these animals that need help. Down on the front line, you, you really do, you know, you know where you're going is going to be high military action. Um, so generally, you, you're, you know where to expect it. And we do purposefully, we'll do safe areas and move in towards the front line um, with a select team. And because that's where there's just hundreds and thousands of dogs roaming the streets that have been left behind and abandoned. So we'll try to train you to investigate as many as we can. And yeah, you, you do have to be really sensible and wear your protective equipment and there's one particular image where I, I spent an entire day stuck in a garage, not able to leave. And we had a lot of cats in cages and we just thought, you know what, let's just carry on. And I must say, spaying and neutering in uh, ballistic vests and helmets, they are really heavy. About 20 cases of, of body armor to, to what you're doing. So, yeah, it's hot and it's heavy and it's tiring, but it's it's just the most rewarding, impactful work that can be done right now. I bet it is. One of the reasons why you were at the AP was the support of the AP Foundation for the Horse. So can you talk a little bit about how the AP has supported your efforts in Ukraine? So AAP and, and Foundation, they wasted absolutely no time at the start of the war. They reached out to Beaver, the British Equine Veterinary Association, uh, who's due to their location were much closer and able to move equipment over land. And they donated a really substantial amount of money uh, in order for Beaver to purchase medicines and equipment and get that straight out. Yeah, they did phenomenal work getting that out there. I'm thankful for AAP's contribution. Can you chat about, I'm sure it's tentative, but Worldwide Vets plans for 2023 in the Ukraine? We have a mobile veterinary clinic that has been donated through the Street Dog Coalition in America and that has now arrived on UK shores and is clearing customs. We're just sorting a vehicle to tow that now and I'm going to take that unit into Ukraine in the next month and the goal is to treat uh, to do 10,000 animal treatments in 2023 in a mixture of areas so we're going to have international volunteers, veterinary volunteers coming in and working between different areas so the frontline areas, the slightly safer areas where there's a challenging stray animal population and also dealing with the, you know, we had a grant program running for horses to provide food and financial grants for medicines for injured horses. So that's going to carry on as well. So between the small animals and the horses, I think we're very easily going to end up working with over 10,000 animals this year in Ukraine alone. You do amazing work. Yeah, no, amazing work. The people that are, are listening are not realizing that Gemma's talking to us from Las Vegas. And as we're talking, and you're describing what's been going on in Ukraine and Iraq or whatever. I'm like, oh my gosh, the contrast of where you are now to where you have been and where you're going must be absolutely surreal. It is. And it's essentially, you always go through a phrase of decompression when you come out of Ukraine, because even when you're in the safer uh, cities, you know there is always a, a chance. There's always a risk. It's very low in some areas, but you're just constantly aware that you're in a country at war. So when you actually step out of that, you realize that you're safe and that is a very unique experience to, to be at home and realize that some people aren't safe you know they remain in that situation we sit at home comfortably so like, that's the reality 
Yeah, I, I know we have one more sort of scheduled question, but as we're talking, I'm just wondering, I mean, you're in a war zone. As we said earlier, it's caused by just acts of evil. But we do what we're doing because as veterinarians, we love animals, but we also have to believe in the people that take care of the animals. Do you have examples of of Ukrainians or other veterinarians or people that you work with in Ukraine and, and over the past year that said, you know, no matter what else is going on, I still there is still hope for humanity because I just can't imagine how dark and the level of despair you often may find yourself there. But I'm sure, maybe not, but there are probably moments where you're like, we're going to be okay. Get over <laughs> this. We're going to be okay. It comes in waves. It comes in waves. When I first actually got into Ukraine, after about a week, I, I sat back and I just said, you know, I can't, I can't fix this. I can't stop this war. I can't help all these people. There's too, too many animals in need and there's too many people in need. And actually, a Ukrainian lady turned around to me and she said, you don't need to help everyone. You don't need to help all the animals. You need to start today and you need to help one and then one more. And then one more after that. And you just keep going. And that way you impact a huge number of lives one day at a time. And that really is the best way to, to look at it and to deal with it is to go one day at a time. The vets out there, I mean, they obviously the economy is challenging. There's injured animals. A lot of them are just giving their time free to help owners who can't afford it, owners that aren't in the country, had to leave their horses behind. They're treating those animals for free. So, you know, they're putting their own careers on the line just to help owners which is in this situation just unbelievably kind and generous and you just see the the country uniting standing beside each other supporting each other families and friends and to see the whole world you know when you come out of ukraine and you you go somewhere and you see someone still flying the flag actually you get kind of emotional because you yeah people still standing behind this they still care they still are fighting for peace and and righteousness so that is where you find the humanity and the relief that the world is a good place and can be a good place. That's wonderful. That's the perfect segue to our last question is, is how can people help, whether it's through money or material or to volunteer? I mean, you're going to be exposed to a lot of veterinarians, and I'm sure people are going to listen to this and go, I want to go. I want to help, whether it's Ukraine or Peru or other areas that you're talking about. How do people help? Absolutely. We require a lot of help. They say, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go in company. And that's so true um, with regards to the work we do. So there's lots of ways that people can get involved. So for Ukraine, we are looking for volunteers to come in and work with us in the safer areas in the Northwest, who can spay and neuter uh, dogs and cats who are confident with those surgeries. We're also looking for donations, financial donations to run the clinic and donations of diagnostic equipment disposables, um, syringes, and you know, all the things that go into doing a spay and neuter and emergency outreach. And then further afield compared to Ukraine, we also you know, are still running our regular outreach program. So if people want to get involved and volunteer or do donations, they can head to the website, which is worldwidevets.com. And on there is all the information, uh, where we work, how they can get involved, you know, how to volunteer, you drop us an email straight off the website. And donate off the website as well. So worldwidebets.com is, is the place to go. It's a nice website. Don't you have a GoFundMe page as well? We do, we do. And there's a link to that from the website as well. Um, so we've got GoFundMe. 
uh, which is 501c3 registered. So for people that want to, to do their tax rebate through their donations, then they can they can absolutely do that as well. Well, I I just uh, if we were in person, I'd be pulling the bowing in front of you, going, "I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy." <laughs> Same. It's just the dichotomy of our everyday life and what you're doing. You and I have chatted before, and every time we chat, I'm just more and more impressed with what you and your your fellow volunteers are doing. It's just magnificent. The team effort. We just gave a presentation at the ICELT meeting. Uh, yesterday to some of the bigger companies that have donated ultrasounds and x-rays, horseshoes, funds. I can't do this on my own. None of us can do this on our own. It's a united effort. And it's just through standing together that we've made this impact. I think you've inspired a lot of people. So thank you. You are a brave person and, and what you're doing is very important. And you'll continue to inspire because I think once this gets out and Hopefully you can come back and visit us in San Diego at the 2023 convention and and share more of the great work you're doing. I would like that. And, you know, the more we can spread the word, if anyone knows newspapers, articles, podcasts, you know, and I would have the interview and, and talk more about it because we've got to keep it in people's minds. We've got to keep it fresh. We've got to share what is actually happening in Ukraine still and keep that support coming in. Yeah. Well, we'll do our best, but uh, bravo and thank you. No, thank you for interviewing. Thank you so much for your time. I would love to hear what companies have been helpful to worldwide vets all over the world. What companies have, have helped? Absolutely. So we have been so lucky to have been supported by a number of different companies and in some very different ways. So as you just say, we, we're dealing with a very sick orphaned manatee calf. And Boreheim um, are donating some omeprazole to, to fly out to the Amazon and, and treat the sick manatee. We've had uh, Sound donate a beautiful digital x-ray machine. Betel have donated ultrasounds and x-rays. Um, PulseFet sent 20 portable ultrasound units into Ukraine. Podoplop are standing behind the work we do, sending in donations. Um, Grand Circuit have donated horseshoes um, for the horses in Ukraine. And then also, obviously, a lot of support from Foundation for Horse. Um, ISELP have had me along to their conference and the Western Veterinary a conference is having me out to speak next week as well. So between the donations of equipment and the, the platforms provided to um, to spread this news, we've had so much support from different organizations across all areas of the world. Absolutely. I'm sure you can't do it alone and this support makes it uh, possible. Yeah. It would be crippled without it. It's 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 a game changer. It's it's great that Beringer Engelheim, the sponsor of this podcast, is involved too. So hopefully other people listen to this go, hey, we need to be part of this. So FOMA, fear of missing out, help out. Let's get all the other companies involved too. Website, reach out to us. If you think there's a way that you can help and support, we need the help. Yeah, for sure. We, let's, we can guilt in all the other companies. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> for more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org. Beringer Ingelheim's equine health solutions don't just come in the form of medicine. From our vaccine and EGUS assurance programs to our equine practice enrichment program, we offer a wide range of services dedicated to helping individual veterinarians and entire practices succeed in their business environment. To learn more about all the services we offer, contact one of our expert team members by visiting bi-vetmedica.com slash company slash contact.